Well, good morning, everyone. The first thing I have to tell you has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. There are four extra hoagies. <laughs> so if anybody wants to buy one, who should they see, Rock? You? Okay. See Rock, and he'll get you squared away. Okay? So uh, I have to tell you, up until about three, four days ago, I said this over there, I had no idea what I was going to tell you today. <laughs> None. I thought I did for quite a while, but it totally and completely changed, which is fine with me. So um, I believe that we, meaning God's going to use me and us, and we're going to have a nice little discussion here today about what his word means to us. So if you'd put that first slide up, we're going to talk about loving God, seeking him, and being light. It's not complicated, but it's as noteworthy as it gets. Given the fact that tomorrow is 9-11, I've tried to blend in some things that go along with that, and you know what God expects of us on a daily basis at the same time. So let's pray before I get started. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your house, another day, uh, a chance to fellowship with other believers and to uh, read, study your word, and find ways to apply it each and every day, um, that our servanthood would be seen as coming from you, and certainly not from ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I think if I keep all of my books straight today, I will have done something amazing. <laughs> so we'll see. All right. First of all, we live in a country unlike any other, don't we? Amen. We do. It has been blessed many times over. The love of God in this country is one of the things that's made it different than any country in the world. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is go back in history and you can find out. And it still happens right now. We're here. Lots of other people are gathered around the country in the same way. The United States has not been perfect. But for the most part, honestly, it's loved God and sought after his will and his blessing through leadership and the daily lives of people like you and I irrespective of the circumstances in which we live. We as believers are expected to continue to love and trust God and his provision for us. We are expected to love God, seek him, and be light. So let's talk about loving God first just a little bit. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, you know Moses is speaking and he's talking to uh, the Israelites before they get into the promised land. And he says a lot, and I'm not going to read it all, but I want you to get the gist of the first nine verses, okay? He says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you. 
and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, it should not be difficult to see where we stand, right? That's the Old Testament. It shouldn't be hard to know, if somebody else takes a look at us, what our life says. The love of God should be ever-present. In order to love God, though, you have to take your eyes off of yourself consistently and daily. Let me share this from uh, a Texas pastor, and his name is Judson Edwards. He says this, The reason our death, in other words, our death to ourself, increases the joy level all around us is that it also increases the love level all around. Only when we die to self can we fully love one another. Self is a devilish creature demanding all of our energy, wanting our constant attention, reaching into our pocketbooks even for favors. How can we be attuned to another spirit when self is making so much noise? How can we ever hope to love one another when self screams for constant care? When self is alive and well, it offers us an all-or-nothing proposition. We either pacify self or we crucify it. Quite a bit to think about. Here's another little selection for you. I'm, I'm sure many of you have heard of uh, A.W. Tozer, who's a former CMA pastor. It's impossible, he says, it's impossible, and I'm going to share this with you, it's impossible to have true worship with God without loving him first. Listen to what he says. Both the Old and New Testaments teach that the essence of true worship is the love of God. Our Lord declared this to be the sum of the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, love is both a principle and an emotion. It is something both felt and willed. It is capable of almost infinite degrees. Love in the human heart may begin so modestly as to be hardly perceptible and go on to become a raging torrent that sweeps its possessor before in total helplessness. Something like this must have been the experience of the Apostle Paul, for he felt necessary to explain to his critics that his apparent madness was actually the love of God ravishingly in his willing heart. We can be certain that it is quite impossible to worship God without loving him. Scripture and reason agree to declare this. And God is never satisfied with anything less than all. This may not at first be, a, be possible, but 
the inward operations of the Holy Spirit will enable us in time to offer him our poured out fullness of love. In our country, we've got to find a way to love him more. We've had so many examples of leaders doing just that. And I'm going to share a little bit with you right now. This is from a book. It's titled uh, Under God. Two of these gentlemen were in a, a group called DC Talk, which is a, a longstanding Christian band. And these gentlemen now are since in other bands. But uh, they put this book together on American history and how God has been interwoven on a daily basis. So I'm going to share a little bit with you um, a couple of times today. So this is the first Continental Congress in 1774, before the Declaration of Independence. So the Founding Fathers were not ashamed to admit that they were openly relying on God. At the first meeting of Congress, it was suggested that they open with prayer. The motion was opposed at first, not because the delegates didn't believe in God, but because they were from all of the varied religious backgrounds. Oh, boy. So we had Episcopalians, Quakers, Anabaptists, Presbyterians, and Congregationalists that some thought they could not join in the same act of worship. Sam Adams stood to address the assembly. And Sam Adams said this, I'm no bigot. I could hear a prayer from a gentleman of piety and virtue who was at the same time a friend of this country. I'm a stranger in Philadelphia, but I've heard that Mr. Jacob Duche, an Episcopal clergyman, well fits that description. I move that Mr. Duche be asked to read prayers to the Congress tomorrow morning. And so what he read was this. He read Psalm 35. I'm not going to read it all to you, but I'm going to read to the very beginning, just to let you understand their frame of mind. This Psalm of David, Psalm 35, Mr. Duche read this. He says, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up and shield and buckler arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. And Psalm 35 goes on with much of the same. And then this is what he did at the end of that meeting. He did this. But that was not the end of the prayer meeting. Mr. Duchesne surprised everyone present by striking out in an extemporaneous prayer, which was almost unusual for that area, for that era. His prayer was so pertinent, affectionate, and devout that every heart was moved. And this is what he prayed. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsel of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle all things on the best and surest foundations, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and that truth and justice, religion and piety prevail and flourish among the people. Preserve the health of their bodies and the vigor of their minds. Shower down on them and the millions they here represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and Savior. Amen.
God's always been prominent in this country. And he always will be as long as we have people like Mr. Duche and us standing up each and every day in our own small little way for the God who created us, right? <clears throat> Although imperfect, our country's had divine intervention as part of the integral foundation since its conception. And it has only become great because people have continually leaned on that guidance throughout history. And it must continue. Another thing that must continue is that we must seek him. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says this. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Asking the Lord means that we should expect it. Seeking means that we are to continue looking. Jesus says that twice here, if you notice. And he also says, knock, and the door will be opened. So right now, as we live each and every day, I'm sure you see it too. I see a lot of people, they're not knocking on God's door. They're knocking on doors. But they're knocking on doors that have empty promises. This is the action, though, that's required of us as believers, as we should be leaning on the Holy Spirit as our guide. Most of the time, or occasionally, we don't ask or seek or knock. You know why? Think about it. A lot of times, we don't want to know the what. We don't want to know the answer. Sometimes we just don't want to know the answer. We might fear the answer. But sometimes we don't. Well, just because you seek doesn't mean you're going to get the answer you want. If you didn't know that, you know it now. <laughs> I remember, I have to throw a football story in, sorry. It's just part of me. But I can honestly tell you, when I played college football, when I showed up on campus, I thought that I had it figured out. And I didn't think I needed knowledge. Okay? I'd, that was my thought. I've, I've said before, I used to take my game plan and I would go, whoosh, because I thought I knew enough. But I learned that I didn't know enough, and God humbled me to a point to help me understand that I didn't know enough, and that I need to either turn, or this isn't going to work out. So through lots of repeated prayer, it began to work out, and I remember when I was a sophomore, we're playing Canisius College at home, and my wife thinks it's ridiculous that I remember details like this, but I do, because it was highly impactful in my life. So we're playing Canisius College out of Buffalo at home, and this is the only time I ever did this in my entire career. I got a play signaled into me, and I walked in the huddle, I said, this is a touchdown, gentlemen, and I said it just like that, with the fullest confidence. So we run the play. I make a nice little fake. I take the ball, throw it down the field to a guy who's wide open about 40 yards down the field, and it goes right through his hands. <laughs> I 
it's okay. It's all right. Didn't matter. Why didn't it matter? Because it's about seeking, and mistakes are going to be made when you seek knowledge, no matter how much you know. None of us are perfect. Most of us, in regards to the answer, we're afraid at times to know what the answer might be because we haven't fully and completely learned to trust God and what he can do in our lives if we're willing to let him. Think about this. What he gives to you, he believes is best for you. A lot of times we believe that we know what's best. That's the furthest thing from the truth. When you seek him, there will always be a cost. No matter what the cost is, it's always worth it. His guidance and his wisdom is far beyond what we can think about on a daily basis. I bet everyone in here probably has a story of how something happened to you with God as your guider, and you can't explain it totally. If you're walking with him every day, it will happen. Expect it to happen. Let me share a little more with you about our country seeking. This part is related to the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson approached the other four committee members chosen by the Continental Congress to work on the Declaration of Independence. He could hardly wait to show them the genius of his workmanship. At first, they were amazed that he finished the draft so quickly. They were amazed at what he had written. It was magnificent. When in the course of human events, perfect. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Oh, this is good. Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. I would not change a word. Thomas Jefferson closed his eyes, basking in the praises of the elder statesman. It was the highlight of his life. Then the congressman from Massachusetts broke into his reverie. I would like to add the words, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, said John Adams. Where, said Thomas Jefferson, right after all men are created equal. Benjamin Franklin nodded in agreement. Oh, that's good, yes. And what about toward the end? Let's insert with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We've always thought about God in this country. Let's be light. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16, says this. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In a dark world, with things such as disease and crime and 
politics and entertainment and all the folly that surrounds it, we're expected to be light. What's the reason for that? To give glory to the Father in heaven, not to ourselves. You have to deny yourself and follow his will. It doesn't say anything in this passage about the fact that we should think about being light or anything of that nature. We're commanded to be light, and it's not to be hidden. If you love God and you seek him, you can't help but be light. However, as was read earlier, when we are light and others see that work, remember, as we read in Ephesians, that work does not save us. That's not the point. We're saved by grace. But at the end of that, it also says, our light and the works that are seen are to give glory to the Father. We're saved by grace. Our works display an inner beauty that can only come from something greater than ourselves. Irrespective of the size or magnitude of your deeds, you are to let your light shine each and every day. You never know fully what that impact will be. As I stand here, I tell you, I, I could probably give you easily, I kid you not, I could give you 75 to 100 stories about how I know, I don't think, how I know that that's true. And a lot of it I learned from kids. <laughs> so I'm going to give you one, okay? I really hesitated to tell this, and I, I prayed about it too. But I'm going to do it because it's been laid on my heart. So when I was teaching in Florida, and again, I'm going to remind you, the reason I'm telling you this is because I want you to understand that what you say and what you do and your, your body language, everything that encompasses who you are, sends a message all the time. Okay? So when I taught in Florida, I looped with my class, which meant I taught them in third grade, and then I moved into fourth grade with the same group of kids, which was kind of cool because when I started school, I knew a lot about them already. And so we were able to hit the road running at the beginning of the year. It was kind of fun. Well, midway through that year, I had the opportunity to leave and get into administration, which was a very difficult decision for me. But I accepted it, and it was, it was tough on me, and it was tough on the kids. So I did that uh, for a while, and then I ended up back in the classroom for a while and, and simultaneously doing some administrative work and teaching at the same time. <clears throat> but right before we left Florida to come back to Pennsylvania, the guidance counselor in my school at the moment pulled me aside one day, and she said, Rich, I, I have to tell you this. And what she was about to tell me had happened five years before the moment I'm talking about. I had a young man in my 
third grade class that looped with me to fourth grade who um, came from a, uh, his parents loved him to death and his little brother, but it was difficult for them to make ends meet on a consistent basis. They did, but it was challenging. And he would sit in my class, and he's just one of those kids. I could look at him, and I could see him hanging on every word that came off my tongue. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but as a teacher, I had a lot. As a coach, I had it a lot. As a principal, I had it a lot. So as much as I wish I could say, ah, you know, certain kids, they don't endear themselves to you. Yes, they do. <laughs> Yes, they do. And they tug on your heartstrings. And this young man was one of them. I think that if he had played football for me, if I told him to run through that wall, he probably would have. That's how much he hung on every word I said. I did not, I repeat, I did not realize it at the time in totality, okay? So he's walking down the hallway one day with the guidance counselor. This is the story that she told me. And she had to take this young man back to his, his class. But they had to deviate and make a turn. And she said, uh, Kevin, we're going to um, turn down here by Mrs. So-and-so's room because we have to go to the cafeteria first. And he said, oh, you mean by Mr. Edder's room, which I had not been in for five or six years. He said, by Mr. Edder's room. She goes, oh, no, honey. That's not Mr. Edder's room. He said, Mrs. Oglesby, that'll always be Mr. Edder's room. So do you see why I tell you what I tell you? You know, you just don't know on a daily basis when you interact with the people that you do, the totality, and I say it that way, of your impact on their life. You do not know. So that's why we are expected to love God, seek him, and be light. Because we're expected to be obedient, and God will take care of the rest. Now, I don't know where he is today. I wish I did know, and I wish I could get together with that class I think that would be a fun thing to do. But I hope you follow me in understanding that, you know, that's the kind of thing I, I have to tell you. The kids at times taught me more than I taught them. That's, that's why I told you that. That's a perfect example. So God's goal is not to ever bring glory to ourselves, but to him alone. And a little reminder, in John... Chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, says this. As he went along, he saw a man blind. This is Jesus. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So this man's physically blind. 
He's spiritually blind and he's desperate. And Jesus is most concerned about the latter. If you notice, he obviously restored the sight of the man. But Jesus also says, right near the end of what I read, while I am in this world. While I am in this world. In other words, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be here the whole time. I hope you're paying attention. I hope you're getting it. And he is demonstrating that he is concerned about the man's heart when he says that. He's also informing his disciples that he won't be around. And he says, I'm the light of the world. And so once Jesus is gone, well then, where will the light of Jesus be once he ascends into heaven? Where will that light be? Well, it's supposed to be right here in us each and every day. People should look at us and they should know that Jesus lives in us. When we believe, the light is in us. Some people are like the blind man, though. And sometimes they get permission to something that they shouldn't, and it gets in the way of them being light. Sometimes we do that by our own choice because we're imperfect. Sometimes people appear to look perfect on the outside, but deep inside, they're hurting. They have a lot of pain, and they're not sure what to do with it. That's where we have to be light. That's where you may have to have a conversation. That's where something that you say or don't say may make a huge difference. Listen, your body language, <laughs> your body language is generally much larger in terms of a message than what comes out of your mouth. It is. What you do carries way more weight than what you say. And I'm not saying that what we say isn't important, because it is. But if you say something and it's not backed up with action, it's pretty empty. Jesus talks about that a lot. We're here in this earth, and it's our calling as believers to be light. So think about it. What, what keeps you from being light consistently? Because in order to be light, it's really not complicated. All light comes from some kind of source. It does. A flashlight has to have a, a source. It could be as simple as batteries. It can be more complicated. But every light's got a source. This is our source. We have to tap into it daily. Another football analogy for you. I used to say to my DBs, my defensive backs, look, you're going to get blocked, okay? It's going to happen. Somebody's going to get in your way, right? You have to be annoyed enough to get off of it. Don't let them keep blocking you. All right? You can't tolerate it. <laughs> it's not acceptable. 
You have to have enough ferociousness within you to get them off you. And the same thing happens to us, you know. Things are going to get in our way of being light. They are. Whether you want them to or not, they're going to get in your way. You have to have enough tenacity and trust in the Lord God who created you and his son Jesus Christ to get out of it, block it, get rid of it, and be light. That's the expectation for us each and every day. So, if you throw that last slide up, I want to read this as a reminder of um, what we need to think about on a daily basis. Okay? This is not a creed of any kind. It's just something simple that I believe we need to read just to give us a reminder as we leave today to think about on a daily basis moving forward each and every day. All right? Let's read it together, please. My life is not about the things of this world except to be used by God to be light for him. And in doing so, my life will speak volumes because of a submissive will. That's my godly purpose as guided by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, his son. Amen?